Welcome to today's family experience, helping families pull together in a world that's pulling families apart. My name is Chuck Higley, and I'm your host today, as well as the leader here at Project Patch, which really means I get to do the stuff that that no one else wants to do. But hey, I'm thrilled to be with you guys today here on this podcast. It's one of my favorite things to do, and so glad to be back. It's been a busy summer, lots of good stuff. Enjoyed um, so many different parents that I've had a chance to meet with doing parent seminars across the U.S. this summer, as well as um, some opportunities to do some fundraising with Project Patch, and it's been a, it's been a blast of a summer. You know, one of the things that I really enjoy is that I love it when parents send me questions, um, especially some of the hard questions that require me to think a lot or to remember some of the, the circumstances that we've been in here at Project Patch struggling with the same thing. Um, one of the easiest ways that people send me questions is just at chuck at projectpatch.org. So chuck at projectpatch.org. And, um, you know, I'll try to answer as many as I can, but I love to hear from from parents. And and so I had just spent five days in, in Michigan teaching about tech-safe kids. Um, one day was focused on raising life-ready kids, the idea that our kids can prepare at home uh, while at home for some of the most important skills that they'll need in life, like negotiation, decision-making, time prioritization, and planning. Um, there's a bunch of stuff that, that we can do while at home that our, our kids really need, um, in the workplace and social stuff at school, you know, it's these skills that help them navigate life. And so um, this question that I received is kind of in that context from that opening day thing that I did for the TechSafe um, Kids Seminar about about raising life-ready life kids. Um, so Jenna asked, she said, her um, my nine-year-old daughter tends to get into impossible situation scenarios. It's been an issue for a while, and we're not entirely sure how to overcome them. She gets frustrated with the situation and then shuts down completely. If we offer to help with solutions um, to overcome the situation, then she shoots holes in the suggestions. She gets angry and unwilling to solve things. She quits trying to solve solve problems and plays the victim. Great question, isn't it? Um, You know, different kids handle different decision making in a different way but but I can picture this we've had kids that are at our youth program um, I've had my kids with this the same thing before too is is uh, you know they get into horribleizing the situation getting into the the tendency that they see only um, bad bad options and so um, they kind of get into the spiral where everything's bad and if you try to help you know, then, then they try to make you look dumb or, or stupid about it. So, you know, Jen, I get it. It happens a lot of parents. Um, here's the frustration about it, you know, from the big picture side is, is it feels really personal, you know, it feels like when they're, um, not able to make decisions, you know, as a parent, we start thinking, you know, what, what have I done wrong? And also when our kids are being real brats about it and really kind of throwing it on our faces, um, you know, it really feels like our, not just our ideas, but we ourselves are, are being attacked by it. Um, so that whole disrespect as well as that, that, you know, shutting down is, is really hard on us as parents. Um, you know, the other thing that I'll say is that a lot of families have a person that ends up being the scapegoat when things go wrong. And Jen, I don't know what your family situation is, but a lot of times we see that, that moms are, are kind of the, the, I don't know the right way to say it, but they're almost like the, the punching bag of the family for emotions is that mom's able to take it. And so there's times that, that kids and, and maybe even husbands dish out stuff to their wives that's really inappropriate. Um, mom shouldn't handle, but mom tends to to take it on or take the blame on. And we've had that happen with kids also, where there's a certain kid that, that's just a scapegoat. They take, they take the blame. Um, not to say that that's right, 
it just tends to be something that happens and, and that families have these unwritten rule, rules and roles um, in which one person kind of kind of takes that. And really the, the danger of that is that, you know, when you end up blaming, shifting responsibility to one person and they take it, you miss the lessons from that. You know, and, and our kids will get into a situation where they're just used to shifting blame, blaming someone else, playing the victim role, um, really leading into triangulation. That's something that we cover pretty heavy in our family experience program is just that triangulation in which kids feel victimized. Um, they're looking for someone that's going to come out and, and save them from this person that's really the the um, accuser against them or the, or the villain in this situation. So you've got these three roles. And when our kids are into always blame shifting, um, they easily get stuck in that victim role, and they're looking for this this person to come and save them against this this really bad person, and that triangle that triangle ends up um, destroying relationships all the way around, and so yeah, it's something that that's easy to happen, it's natural to happen, but it shouldn't um, we shouldn't let it happen, you know. It's so much easier uh, for people to point out um, the obvious rather than actually do something about it too. You know, so with your daughter there, um, when you give suggestions of things that she might want to consider, how she can, you know, po- poke holes in those and, and make them look look like bad ideas. You know, that's really easy to do. And a lot of times, um, at least what I've seen is that the armchair quarterbacking, or whether it's in sports or politics or even in leadership, is, you know, it's easy to look at, at decisions that someone else is making and put holes in it. Um, at the end of the day, you know, what, what have you contributed to it? And so that that focus that we have is is helping our kids understand that action is really important you know looking back from um especially looking into a situation without empathy and and poking holes in it it really is a problem it's not a game that our family plays and really it's easy to say when our kids behaviors like what you're experiencing jen but you know honestly what happens is what are our kids hearing when when they're at the dinner table um you know are we demonstrating in other areas that that it's okay to armchair quarterback um, you know, whether it's in sports or listening to the sermon or, or leadership, how do you refer to your boss, authority, some of those kind of things. Um, not to make it personal here, other than it really has to be personal, is, is how we model similar interactions gives our kids permission for how they, how they respond to us. And so one of the things that we really are, are watchful for is, is, you know, how do I do, I do this or do I not? Um, I used the word horribleize earlier. <laughs> that is a made-up word. Um, it's a great word. That's that situation where kids take that um, whatever's happening and, the, and they find the worst case of it. And all they can see is is how something won't work or how bad it's going to turn out. And, um, you know, we've had all sorts of things happen. You know, you have a, a situation where a kids doesn't want to go to a birthday party and so they can think of all the bad things that are going to happen there. Or they don't want to work on a project so they can think of all the different ways that it's going to go wrong. That horribleizing is is a natural thing of fear. It drives us. It procrastinates. But um, we call it out, you know, with our with our youth program at at the ranch. You know, it's one of those things that that we see as a as a behavior in which kids start to horribleize. Okay, what you're doing right now is um, trying to tell stories that are going to make this look in its worst case. You know, instead of playing what if and doing all the worst case options, let's try to start start turning that around. You know, two key things that I, I think your daughter might be feeling, Jen, is one is is feeling really weak and insecure. You know, that concept of, of feeling inadequate, unable, um, losing confidence 
in decision making is is really natural, especially for big decisions. Um, we'll talk about personality a little bit more, but when we feel weak as as people, we end up looking for ways to feel strong. You know, and I think that's where that double edge comes in is that she's feeling weak and inadequate about her decision making, her ability to do it. And at the same time, she's feeling really powerful tearing down um, ideas and making you or your ideas look dumb. And so you've got that that combination of feeling weak, wanting to feel strong, and in both ways, the most negative side of it's coming out. So inner weakness is leading to indecision, silent power, um, withdrawing, sadness, and at the same time, her attempt to feel powerful is resulting in broken relationship and, and harm being done. And, you know, that's not unusual, but it is something that, that really is destructive. You know, so I think, you know, one of the things that I, I hear in your, in your story is that you're wanting her, you know, and your question is that you're wanting your daughter to be able to be a good decision maker. At nine years old, you're really wanting her to, to start depending on her own ability to make decisions. So even you're not telling her what to do, you're making some suggestions. And so I just want to encourage that, you know, and so for parents listening in, it's easier at times if we do all the decision making, it's easier if we are the the teller rather than the asker. And really what I, I appreciate hearing into this this thing is that you really want her to be the decision maker. And so you're doing the hard thing. You know, if you were cutting, sh- making shortcuts and, and stuff like that, this wouldn't even be a question, but, but simply that you're, you're engaging in this lets me know that you're really challenging your daughter to, to go into that next level of, of maturity. And I love that, you know, it's hard now, but what I have to tell you is that teaching a nine-year-old to make decisions is way better than teaching a 13-year-old, a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old. Um, I'm 46 now and I've got so much to learn about this sort of thing. And so, um, but really at nine is, is a great time to, to get started. It is going to seem awkward and hard at nine. And I just want to say, keep going. You can, you can do it. So great decision that you're making by, by pressing in there. You know, a couple things that I think our kids need, um, what areas that they need our help. Um, one is that I think so many of us assume that decision-making is just this innate skill, this thing that we're born with. Um, but I, I want to tell you that decision-making while some people are a little more natural at it, it's nothing that that we're born with. It's something that that has to be learned. So for kids being born, um, decision making isn't something that's that's natural to do, or the decision making that they do is really self serving, um, immediate pleasure focused, um, or problem solving focused. Not necessarily the the long horizon um, great decision making that we need. And so a lot of kids that don't learn decision-making skills um, can really become overwhelmed, impulsive, selfish, um, victim thinking, um, all sorts of, of results that they get. So here's the problem that we run into, isn't it? Is that that um, bad decisions sometimes are rewarded and good decisions are sometimes um, in a sense that they're almost punished for making the good decision. And so, you know, for a kid that's cheating at school, short term is, is going to be positive. You know, they're, they're going to get a good reward from that. And some of the kids that really try and work on their own, um, that try to do the science project by themselves rather than the parent helping, let's just say for that, um, they might not get as good of a grade, even though they did, they did more, more work for themselves. And so, you know, really when we're looking at all this stuff, what we're trying to help is that our kids need an external help in learning how to make decisions. Um, it's not something that, that 
is a one lesson, like all things in parenting, it's a multiple lesson, but our goal is to help our kids um, not only learn the skills, but learn the, the responsibility that, that goes with making decisions. You know, I wrote a, a blog quite a while ago called Decisive Without Being Impulsive, based on the book by Chip and Dan Heath called Decisive. Love that book. It's it's not a parenting book, but it's, it's a fantastic book. Um, what Chip and Dan talk about through their thing, and, and they're writing from both a business, one's a business professor and the other's a psychology professor. So they're, they're um, really complement each other well. And what, what they write in there is that a lot of the decisions that we make that turn out negative is that we make them too quick. We don't stop to think about things. Um, we don't give ourselves enough options. And so we end up narrowing our focus over too much. And then we focus on ourselves rather than how it impacts other people. Um, and so then we also focus on now rather than later. And so our impulse of decision-making really does tend to, to be short-term horizon as well as self-focused, as well as um, limiting our options just to sometimes make it easier for us to make, make decisions. And so once again, let's just theme this as in um, if your daughter's struggling with making decisions, that's totally normal. At nine years old, she's um, transitioning in her, in her ability to, to think more clearly, cause and effect thinking is becoming clearer and clearer. Um, at the same time, she's getting more and more emotional um, maturity. And so she's probably starting to, to perceive stuff emotionally that she wasn't even familiar with before. And in that context, the way she made decisions as a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, now as a nine-year-old in her development, that's changing. And she does need a parent to help her and, and teach her through that maturity of that. You know, one other element that I see creeping into this is... Um, and you don't mention it specifically, but but I'm curious whether there's some perfectionism um, that's in your daughter. Um, we see perfection as the enemy of decisions and actions. Um, how do we define perfectionism? It's really the need to be perfect or appear perfect. And so that's where, where we've seen perfectionists really struggle with, with making mistakes. What would it be if they um, were shown to be wrong? And so a lot of times they put off making decisions. And so they put it off, put it off, put it off. And finally, some other external element makes them, forces them to action. You know, the plus for that is that then they get to blame someone else rather than than take the accountability for themselves. And so perfectionism is is one of those things that, that really causes all sorts of problems. The research shows that perfectionism perfectionism leads to procrastination and, and avoiding challenges, you know, and so that's pretty straightforward. And what I'd have to say is that that shutting down when it comes to, to making decisions, a lot of times has to do with that, that perfectionism coming through. And so if that is something, you know, that your daughter's struggling with, we'll have some resources for that also, but I'd, I'd probably, um, really have, have a listening ear for that, you know, have a, have a watchful eye for, for perfectionism, because what we see is that that perfectionism is misunderstood. A lot of people believe it's it's some sort of um, strength. <laughs> you know, when you're applying for a job and, and someone says, you know, what's one of your faults? And they're like, well, I'm a perfectionism. I'm a per- perfectionist. And we kind of throw that out there as a, as a positive thing. But honestly, it's, it's trash for our lives. Um, to have excellence is is a really positive thing. But um, excellence means that we pursue excellence, we try hard, but we're actually shipping something out, we're getting something done. And perfectionism is this unrelenting voice, you know, and it's it's this thing that taints everything that we do. So really, you know, I probably 
if you attend any of our seminars and, and Jenny had, you know that this is, you know, this is a big deal and something that I'm really watchful for and, and encouraging parents to be watching for. You know, the other thing that I say is that realize that different temperaments or personalities make decisions differently. And the reason I say this is that, that um, certain people are really natural decision makers and others have, have a little bit more of a challenge with it. With our family experience, we go through a personality profile with, with everyone in the family, and, and we use the Ministry Insights, which is kind of similar to the DISC, um, but it uses these animal profiles, animal labels, I guess, just to make it a little easier for us to understand. And so one is the lion. Um, the lion is is really task-driven and very much into um, quick quick decision-making, making making quick change. So the lion is very fast decision-maker. It relies on gut. Um, You can't necessarily, a lion can't necessarily explain or defend their decision to others um, that clearly, but they're ready to act, you know, and they just have this confidence about it. And a lot of times their confidence is just great for everyone else because they've solved it. You know, they're ready to move. And so people, people go with the lion. Um, So the lion's a fast, like I said, fast decision-maker relies on gut. Um, The otter the otter is a very, you know, you think of an otter as a real playful animal, especially the sea otters, you know, they're out there playing all the time. Um, they're pretty much driven by, by um, fast change as well as people. And so not necessarily task-focused, but people-focused. And so the otter also is a very fast decision-maker. It's optimistic. I think that's a key word for them is the optimistic big-picture thinking. And so when they make a decision, they make it really quickly, um, and then they're really convinced that others will join them and they're ready to talk other people into it. And so they're the persuaders. Um, they don't always persuade on facts. They kind of persuade on gut, like this is going to be awesome, you know, and they get people kind of fired up. Um, another of the personalities is the golden retriever, you know, which is, which is um, you know, that animal that, that is such a um, pleasure to be around. You know, golden retrievers are, are, are fantastic. Um, the golden retriever is also people-driven, but they're much more slow to change and, and slow to decide. And so they're a very slow decision-maker. They take into account social and emotional factors. They're wanting everyone else to be happy, you know, and they're wanting to preserve that, that peace and balance. And so the difficulty with the, with the golden retriever making a decision is that there's so many different factors to consider. You know, and, and a lot of times if you ask a, a golden retriever, you know, where do you want to go for lunch? The answer is going to be, you know, wherever you want to go, you know, because they're trying to preserve that, that happiness, not necessarily their own. Um, the beaver is the final personality, and the beaver is very much task-focused and a slow decision-maker. And that slow-to-change, slow-to-make-decision really has to do with the fact that they're taking into account all the facts and data. And so they're the, the if you can imagine talking a CPA into to a project. You know, they want to know when stuff's due, they want to know all the details, who's on their team, all that sort of stuff. So it's all the facts and all the data. And they're always wanting to be correct, um, have a fear of not being correct as well as as needing more information. You know, so um, they could have study after study after study after study. And if there's contradictory results, they'll do another study. And so lots and lots of facts. And so the decision making can be really slow. You know, the reason I share this is just to understand the temperament of your child and yourself and realize that um, what convinces you might not be what convinces your, your kid. And so if your daughter, especially is a golden retriever or beaver, it's going to slow down, slow down the, their decision-making and it's going to complicate that, that, that process. They're always going to be looking for a little more information. If it's the golden retriever personality, they're going to be looking for more, 
more information as far as how this affects people and, and emotions. And if they're a beaver, they're, they're looking for more facts that'll, that'll show them right. And so certain decisions just don't lend itself to that. You know, <laughs> um, one of the things that I mentioned in that blog post is picking paint colors. You know, that's one of those things that, that there really isn't a right emotional decision. So certain things like that can be be harder. And so, you know, take a look at your daughter. Are there certain types of decisions that she has harder time with um, than others? You know, maybe factual decisions are a little easier and, and others aren't. Or maybe um, she just lacks confidence in her, in her gut. You know, so the different ways of looking at it. Um, once again, otters. Otters make decisions a lot of times while just talking stuff through. And so if you've got otter for, for a child, you know, as they verbally explain themselves, they'll come to clarity. And so really interesting looking at, at personalities, both your personality and your kids. You know, so what do our kids need from us is that, you know, they need to understand, we need to understand that our kids, um, no matter their temperament, no matter their decision-making history, um, they, need to, they need to learn how to make decisions, you know, and there's no exemption for, for decision-making. With our Life Ready Kids seminar, I, I talk about the, the power of, of learning through caught, taught, and practiced. And so that's pretty easy, you know, when you're looking at, at maybe a, a skill like um, balancing the checkbook or cooking or washing the car or whatever. You know, they can observe that. Um, you can do it together, and then they can, they can do it that on their own. The problem with emotions and, and especially decision-making is that, is that it's hard for our kids to see what's going on. You know, it's going on in our brains, and so how do they know what we're thinking? And so we really need to find ways of bringing them along for the ride, you know, ways of, of verbally explaining things, ways of, of giving them a chance to see the process that we're going through for decision-making. And especially for long, longer-term decisions, um, you know, our kids just need, need us to walk, walk it through and, and explain step-by-step step what we're doing and why we're doing and what sort of information we're wanting and, and what do we do in the absence of information. You know, what friends am I calling? How am I reading up and doing my research? All those, all those elements make a, a huge difference. Um, our kids need us to help them with their challenges like perfectionism, laziness, entitlement, people-pleasing. And so when you look at, at the obstacles to decision-making is that there are these um, challenges that our kids are facing that, that really interrupt it. And we've already talked a lot about perfectionism, but laziness, you know, that really flows out of the kid that, that wants other people to solve the hard stuff. You know, they're, they're in for the ride. Entitlements to those kids that believe that they're, they're owed something, um, that they're owed results without the effort. And so a lot of times the entitled kid's going to feel like, you know, why am I having to face this? Why don't, why am I the only one? You know, so their thinking gets, gets turned around. And then people pleasing really is that thing that um, rather than making the right decision for what you need, you're just trying to keep people happy. And so all of these ends up being poison for, for decision-making and highly complicates decision-making. You know, so in our, in our show notes, I'll have some resources for you. Um, Brene Brown has a lot of work that she's done on on people-pleasing, um, imperfection, you know, those sorts of topics, um, shame and guilt. And so I encourage you to be be familiar with, with her work. It's not written from a, a spiritual perspective, but Brene Brown has um, The Gift of Imperfection. It's one of her better books about that, but lots of good resources. Um, I'm in a book right now by Jonice Webb, J-O-N-I-C-E, Webb. And I'll have that in show notes also called Running on Empty. It's about childhood emotional neglect. And it's kind of a painful book to read, but the helpful part about it is that um, it's, it understands the, the power of teaching our kids about emotions, our importance of validating, our importance of, of being connected with our kids. And so 
um, it might be painful for you to read just because it might bring up some um, memories of childhood and and maybe some some things that maybe you lacked. But the power of it is it gives you a chance to to really identify and catch up and and you know pull those things into your, into your relationship as a parent. Um, another book that I'm I'm just about completed right now is is a book I'm reviewing. You'll hear more about it coming up. It's it's by a friend named Mark Shelsky. And so Mark wrote this book called The Wisdom of Your Heart. And what I'd say is, is we don't have enough time to talk right now, but powerful, um, powerful understanding about emotions, what they're trying to communicate to us, um, how God feels them. And I think any of you as parents would benefit from, from spending some time in Mark's book. And you know, the final one that I'd suggest in this, in this area, and, and sorry, Jen, you've got lots of reading to do if, if, <laughs> but, um, you know, I guess most of us probably should read a little bit more as parents, um, is Dr. John Townsend, um, Henry Cloud and John Townsend wrote a lot of our favorite books like Boundary Series and, and some of those, but John Townsend wrote The Entitlement Cure, really helpful book on, on a, helping us identify entitlement, pocket entitlement in our own lives, as well as helping us identify tools for helping our kids uh, move away from it. And so lots of resources there. You know, so in, in, in really kind of summing up stuff is that I'd like to give you some resources, really two areas that, that you focus on. You know, as you read these books, you'll find a lot. Um, but one issue is, is, is helping your daughter so she doesn't shut down during, during decision-making. Uh, one is don't reward that shutdown. You know, that shutdown, if it's benefiting her by shutting down, she's going to keep doing it. And so, you know, what I, I'm saying is find, find both, um, well, I'd say logical as well as natural consequences that can um, move her toward wisdom, you know, so, so that she's not rewarded for that. You know, the other thing that, that I'd focus on is the constant improvement cycle. You know, that how we practice it at Project Patch is that we plan, um, we try things, we measure, um, we improve it, and we do it again. And it's that constant cycle of plan, try, measure, improve, do it again. And really, if you miss that, any of those steps, especially move, miss that try step, then you end up not having anything to improve. And so we're better off being people of action. And so really helping your daughter understand that is that, you know, given the information that we have, given the resources we have, or this is what we're going to try. And then we're going to sit down and, and see if it worked. And if it didn't work, we'll, we'll, you know, make this change. And if it worked, we'll, we'll see if we can make it even better. And so it's this constant improvement cycle. And that's, that's something just to, to keep in mind that, that you embedded into, into, into your lifestyle. Um, respect people that try hard things. That's another thing that, that we use. We use this phrase in our family, our family tries difficult things. You know, so we don't necessarily recognize people that successfully do everything. We, we recognize people that try, um, really try to do difficult things. And so encourage you to do that. And we also respect failure and trying again is people that, that don't make it fall and get up, get up and go again. And through all these things, we've got this visual that we use at, at Project Patch. If you've been through any of our seminars, you'll see this large X. And really what we're trying to illustrate is that it is our responsibility to, to grow our kids in their own responsibility and their knowledge and their effectiveness. We need to raise that bar and they need to be accountable for their decisions. And so um, just because a kid makes a decision, are they accountable for it? Um, are they accountable for decisions that they're not involved with? All these dynamics really play together, but it's, it's a key principle. So if you remember that from our seminar, I'd, I'd say review it again. 
You know, and then the finally, she needs to learn some skills, you know, on a basic way that decisive teaches it from their, their book by Chip and Jan, Dan Heath is, is using an acronym called WARP, W-A-R-P. Um, first is to widen your options. You know, the skill set, there's a whole skill set around um, not just picking one or two things, but, but developing more, more choices. And um, the second is to reality test your assumptions. And so, you know, the fact is, how do I, how do I test these things? You know, if I want to be a dentist, how could I find out whether I, I'd really enjoy being a dentist? And so it's that process of, of reality testing. So maybe it's going in and, and shadowing a dentist for a summer, um, you know, or even for a week. Those sorts of, of things are, are, you know, ways of, of testing something. Um, so that's the, the R is a reality test. The A for warp is, um, <laughs> I might have gotten these backwards, um, is, is attain distance before deciding. Um, wow, have you noticed that, that, that there's times that, that we get so emotional, we get so hooked in, or we get fear, you know, starting to play in, into the decision-making. And so they say the best place to buy a car is, is sitting at the comfort of your home um, rather than on the dealership. And, and really, that's, that's really key is, is let me get some distance. Let me get some, some time to think about it away from the pressure. And then the final is, is the P, prepare to be wrong. And that's really not saying that it's not introducing this um, – fear into our decision making, but it's realizing that, hey, you know, if I don't have the right information, how would I know if I need to change my course a little bit? What would be some signs that that I maybe didn't make the best decision so that I can so I can adjust? Um, so really, it's the process of guiding your kids through that. Um, the warp, widen your options, attain distance, reality test your assumptions and prepare to be wrong. So Jen, I hope these thoughts have been helpful. I hope others too that have been listening have, have um, been helped by the thoughts. I know there's a lot in here. Um, and there always is, you know, I don't think that we can usually point to one single thing. Um, but I think that our kids would always benefit from, from being increased in their emotional maturity, you know, and their ability to be, stay away from danger areas like, like perfectionism and realizing that, that, you know, getting in this, this framework that, that majority of things that are really hard for them, they put off. And so we need to teach them. Um, and be patiently in our, in our teaching. And so hopefully you caught that message and, and that it was helpful for you. Hey, for any of you else that have questions or, or Jen, if you want to um, clarify even more, um, just email me at chuck at projectpatch.org and we'll get the information out to you and, and be as helpful as possible. So it's been a pleasure being with you today. I hope that it's been a help. Um, now I'm going to encourage you to go out there and connect with your family. We can help at Project Patch and today's family experience. Go online, check us out. We'd love to be a resource and help for your family. Until next time, thank you.